I'm Grant, an engineering and technology leader who will share the secrets of IT with you. Listen up, because we're about to get into it. Hey everybody, in this episode I'm going to be doing something a little different than I usually do. I've been getting requests to have people on the show for a little over a year now, and I just didn't have the bandwidth to put all of that together. But I finally decided that the time was right to have someone on the show. Dustin Warner is my first guest. He's a lead member of the technical staff at Salesforce, and he's been leading some of our hugely impactful, high potential next generation software development on the platform, and he was gracious enough to spend some time with me and let me ask him some questions. He has a wide variety of skills, not just as a platform developer, but for this discussion, that was the topic we decided to focus on primarily. We will talk about his career path and progression, platform development, the rise of AI and how it impacts the interview and hiring process, how platform development impacts your business goals and your ability to run a successful company. So regardless of your seniority, whether you're an entry-level tech person or an executive, I guarantee that Dustin has some wisdom that you can benefit from hearing. And with that, here's our conversation. All right, Dustin. It's great to see you. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show here. So I'm really excited. You're the first guest I've ever had on the podcast. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited to have you here and to be able to dive into a, the topic today, which is going to be on uh, software engineering on a platform, right? So I know you've got some experiences specifically with the Salesforce platform, but we're going to get into that here in just a little bit. But before we do, um, tell us a little bit about yourself professionally or personally. Awesome. Thanks, Grant. I'm uh, really excited to be here with you today and be your your guinea pig on on hosting guests. Um, so personally, my name's Dustin. I'm here in Indianapolis, Indiana. So we're mid-February and uh, nice balmy 12 degrees out this morning. Um, so that's that sets a pace for my tolerance with, with uh, struggle and really leads me to platform development. But <laughs> Excellent. Uh, a little bit about myself. So I started into technology in a kind of an odd path. I was going to school for accounting and finance and worked at a software company in their accounting department and realized how awful accounting was and how many spreadsheets and sticky notes I had to do. So my path into software engineering was fixing all my problems. And then the owner of the company coming over, very passionate guy. And he just blew up on like, why are we spending money on this software? Who approved this? And my boss just got this biggest grin and she looked at him. She's like, oh, we didn't. Dustin did it. And he was like, how many months did this take you? And I was like, a week. And so we had cut processes that were, you know, weeks long of spreadsheets, sticky notes, and emails and got them into a system and automated and like that started the conversations and then two weeks later the owner comes over he's like hey we've got a project i want you to move into development i'm like i have oh. no experience and he's like you do now so <laughs> it was a a unique route i actually finished my accounting and finance degree and i was like you know most people were accounting and finance it's so rigid it's so like boring and mm -hmm. uh they're right. So coming over into, <laughs> into software, I was, you know, whole new world openness. And then it's, it's funny, as I progress in my career, I'm finding, hey, these principles and things from accounting, like, mm -hmm. they apply to software just as much like, you need to have, you know, guidance and principles in place. And uh, it's kind of set me up as a different type of engineer, a different type of developer. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really kind of added to you know the value add that i can bring to teams yeah for sure you know there how many years ago was that that was 13 years ago okay because that's what i've noticed throughout my career is that some of the manual effort people put into doing things filling out spreadsheets calculating things and at this point in my career i can just look at the problem i'm like oh wow that could all be automated very quickly with the, sometimes even like a simple set of software, right? Like a, a very little bit of yes. code. And so I think that's the superpower that I've discovered in software engineering is just how much more uh, fast you can make a business, how much you can accelerate someone's job uh, and, and kind of get rid of all of the, the unfun work 
you know, so they can focus on the stuff that's difficult to do and why they went to college and, and bring out their real skill set there. So that's awesome that you discovered that as well. And uh, I may have missed it. Was that on the Salesforce platform that you started or was it a different one? No, this is, and I'm sure people are going to hear it and cringe, but this was SharePoint. <laughs> And like oh, wow. SharePoint back in the day too, before the, uh, I think it was 2012 or 2013 when they had like the new clean UI and everything. Now this was like forms based SharePoint and, mm -hmm. uh, I, I dove into it, started learning.net and C sharp and, you know, got 90% of the way there with out of the box platform. And then the rest of it was, you know, just a little bit of customization. If I okay. looked at the code now, I'd probably cry. Or fire myself. Of course, yeah. <laughs> That's how it goes. Software development's never done. You can always optimize more. And when you go back and look at things you've built in the past with different uh, different lenses, right? You're like, oh my gosh, I'd, I'd build that so totally different today than I did back then. But that's yeah. called continual improvement, right? Yeah. So that's awesome. Um, so the SharePoint was really your entry point into software development, and then you started picking up other languages. So when did you get around to doing Salesforce development? So it, Salesforce has been, I would say the last like eight years. So it was Salesforce before it was, you know, everything that it is now training for Salesforce for me was downloading these giant PDFs and reading them. There was no trailhead. There was no Academy. It was just, you know, here's, here's some documentation. Here's this platform, go at it. And it came into my work stream. I was at a consultancy and, you know, we did custom app dev. We were heavy in the Microsoft stack. So I did SharePoint dynamics, and then we had clients start asking about Salesforce. And it was funny because everybody in our company was like, ugh, Salesforce, <laughs> um, except for our sales team. And they were like, yeah. So, you know, it, it's kind of the hallmark of Salesforce. They sold our clients, like sold mm -hmm. to their executive teams. And then the technology teams had to figure out like, all right, how do we use this? Okay. Um, so I was thrown in like, that video. Hey, hey, you're an expert now. Like I, I've never seen this thing. Like, hey, you'll figure it out. <laughs> right. That's the hallmark of a good engineer is throwing a problem at them and them figuring it out. That's what we do. So that's a good segue then. Uh, Salesforce platform development. So what does that mean? What is Salesforce platform development? So if you don't mind, Grant, I would like to like zoom it back a little bit sure. because uh, and talk about platform development as a whole. We, uh, it's funny as I work with different companies and different technologies and different levels of engineers, um, you get a spectrum. You have these mm -hmm. like people who went to college and are hardcore engineers and they look at something like Salesforce or dynamics or power platform and they sneer like, uh, like you're not, you're not doing real work. You're not a real engineer. Um, and what I found is a lot of people have this misnomer that the a platform is only these giant monolithic applications that you're tagging into when in reality we're all building on platforms whether it's the jvm platform whether it's the net platform they've obfuscated so much of the the workings under the hood so they're still working on a platform just not as structured and curated of a platform so when i think of like salesforce or dynamics I, I don't want to think about SharePoint anymore, so we won't even go there. But when I'm looking <laughs> at these, what they've done is now it's, all right, we're going to curate all these different pieces. And that was one thing I really liked about Dynamics was, uh, and it, we'll talk about a little bit different Dynamics and Salesforce, but Dynamics is like, all right, you don't have to worry about your database. You're using SQL. And here's your schema and here's your structure. You can add add objects and we'll translate it to tables, but you don't have to worry about it. So you, you have your database. And then you have your uh, web application layer, and then you have your uh, like edge application. So I don't have to worry about caching. I don't have to worry about any of this. And then what that allows you to do is now instead of as an engineer having to think about like how do I set up this infrastructure? How do I configure? You know, if we think about like Docker or Kubernetes, like how do I do this wall of YAML to make my application? And what's sad is like you want to do something as simple as a cookbook app. 90% of your time is going into that. 
And then if you want to make it secure, that's 99% of your time going into that. And you don't get to actually think about like, what problem am I solving? Um, okay. So the platform thing is like, it's, we say ooh on platforms a lot of times, but we're already using them. We're just at different stages and platforms. Right. So then to, to play that back, you'd say a platform then is an ecosystem that lets you focus on the business problem that you're trying to solve. And you can quickly like get to the point of what you're trying to build rather than focus on all of the other uh, like database management, security setup, all of that. Is that, did I understand you properly? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, um, a pre-configured home versus a custom home. There's so much you don't have to think about when you're going into these engineered homes versus if you want this boutique custom home, then yeah, you're going to go ground up. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, some of the teams that I've worked with uh, in various platforms, some of them uh, don't even know they're using a database, which is, you know, that just shows how far abstracted they are from the technology that they're using when they're focusing on solving the business problems. Yeah. And that's, that is one of the, it's a hallmark of a good platform and the hallmark of a bad engineer because (laughs) Um, and this is a, a criticism most platforms get. And I know Salesforce, I think they get it more so than others. And I, I won't say it's unjustifiable, but mm-hmm. it, it's really with the advent of Trailhead and the ease of introduction to the platform. You think about problem first, technology second, but then a good Salesforce engineer thinks about the technology as well. A bad Salesforce engineer stops there and then you get um a friend i I don't know if he coined the term but i love using it is copy pasta all over your salesforce environment and uh Mm -hmm. there's a there's a distinct like hallmark of a good engineer whether you're doing declarative development like flows in um in salesforce or scratch for my kids play with like Mm -hmm. even if you're doing declarative there are principles and guidelines you should follow from engineering that translate over because in the end of the day like it's coding with pictures you still have to have good like variable management you have to know like good naming conventions structures uh, and you know you have a good salesforce engineer if they're thinking about that but you also don't have to broadcast that to the business you can just say all right we got you you know yeah of course i mean there's uh i i think what a bad engineer quote unquote would be someone who's been doing that same type of development for 10 years and hasn't learned how to make things reusable right or 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 optimize their ecosystem or still doesn't realize they're using a database whereas someone who's first starting out in the platform some of those things are more acceptable yeah right so you had mentioned earlier sometimes platform developers get looked down on like they're not quote unquote real engineers and there's definitely some gatekeeping being done there in the tech world um, but I think a, a good platform developer who's been around for six, seven years will understand like the reusability component there. They're not just copy pasting or copy pasta across all of their their different uh, code bases, no, but they're actually thinking about the the use case of that and then looking for reusability between modules, depending on the platform and how it's probably arranged. Yeah, I it's funny. I just had a, a breakfast with a friend of mine. He's he hired me at the consulting agency and then hired me again at, when he became CIO of a, an insurance company. And we were talking about, he led our platform team at the consultancy and we addressed that problem or that kind of viewpoint of platform developers head on. And it was, look, platforms, platform developers aren't doing it because it's easy. Platform developers are doing it because they understand the value they can get. So it's like, mm-hmm. you're not just a, I see it as you can be a developer or you can be a developer plus platform. That means I come in, I don't have to like, I can't just lean on like the standards of Java or standards of C sharp. I have to know what are my limits? What's the structure? What are the different availabilities through APIs or interfaces? And, you know, I have to go through and read a manual on this platform. If I want to be a good engineer on the platform whether it's mm-hmm. Dynamics or Salesforce or Zendesk or HubSpot or QuickBase, like, and mm-hmm. they're everywhere now. So for me, it's you need to be a good engineer plus 
be able to consume and use because I mean, there's so much stuff I hate doing in engineering and I, I'm not ashamed to say it like, you know, <laughs> web pages, forms, record level security. Ugh. Like <laughs> I, I, I've whiteboarded that, that model and tried to build it out. And then I look at like Salesforce and I'm like, oh man, they got it. Like I'm out. I, I don't want to worry about that. I want to, you know, sit down with a business user hear them complain about something for 30 minutes, go work for a week, bring it back to them, and then just be like awestruck that like, you did everything I need. And I'm like, yep. And I didn't worry about record level security one bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So, I mean, there are a ton of different uh, platforms out there. And how would how does a person choose one? Or does it choose the person? Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you sit at your desk and this presence just falls down and it says you will be a quick base developer. Um, yes. Yeah, so, someone else is like, so we bought this thing. Can you figure it out? <laughs> yes. Well, and that's where, and I, you know, if you ever want to go into like a recommendations for engineers or developers getting into the field, you know, one of the things I recommend highly is getting into a consultancy and, Honestly, the smaller, the better, because you have to do so much. You know, I went from SharePoint development to uh, dynamic CRM development because I had to do it in the project. We went from dynamics to marketing cloud or exact target at the time because we had to do it. We used Marketo. We had to do that. So what I think you find is you'll start working with different platforms and you find the the technological environment, but also the community that you want to be a part of some communities and technology. And I'm sure you've, you've run across this, like some are super welcoming, like, Oh, you have a problem. It's stack overflow. And we, we gotcha. Others are very like you post a question and they're like, Oh, really, really Grant? You don't know that. And it's <laughs> you, you pick the, the, for me, community is kind of the bigger piece than the technology you find where you're going to get support and where you can add, add support. So the other part is I'm also not a, a, a lifer on one technology. Hmm. So, you know, right now we're talking Salesforce is, is my gig. It's what I'm doing. Doesn't mean it's going to be in five years. Yeah. I completely understand that. I think I've talked about that a number of times on the podcast where I don't even think of specific technologies anymore in my career. I think of problems that need to be solved and then boxes and arrows of systems that interconnect. And eventually I think if you just do this stuff long enough, it starts to make sense at that level. And then it's like, Oh, if I'm doing Salesforce development, sure. I'll figure that out and take a whack at the problem. Or if it's service now comes right. Um, and that's a platform that, that I was thinking of here because the platforms themselves change over time. So you've got like the developer community or the, the ecosystem, the style of programming that's done on that platform, and then also the capabilities of the platform that change over time. Um, what was that? Maybe it was eight years ago now uh, when I first got introduced to uh, ServiceNow. It was very rudimentary in how one would build software there, and everything was globally scoped. So if you had multiple teams working on the same file, you really couldn't do that effectively. Someone ha had to lock the whole file down and change it. And so over these past eight years, that platform even has come a very long way to making it easier to uh, build code at scale on the platform and solve custom problems that just maybe aren't available out of the box. So I think that's an aspect to at least that I've been exposed to in my limited uh, experience with platforms. Uh, that I wanted to, to call out as, uh, you know, just the nature of, of writing software on a platform and staying, keeping your skills sharp and up to date. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the hallmark of a good platform is that they're continually advancing and growing. And what's difficult, what's interesting, and I think probably a very difficult thing looking at like leadership in Salesforce or service now is how to, how do you balance delivering what your technologies focus towards? whether it's sales or service or content management and balance extending it to allow your customers or user base to do things that you're not primarily focused on. So like a good one is finding the balance. Like how do we make sales super easy for sales users 
and how do we make the engineering experience like palatable for engineers that are wanting to enhance that and like there's there's you know hundreds of companies that have come and gone that have done the same thing mm-hmm. and some of them have realized like oh like this isn't us like we'll give you the product and you use what we give you um and there's almost like a respect for companies that do that yeah yeah, so I yeah, I'm trying not to focus solely on Salesforce here. I think yeah. that's just the uh, the platform I have the most experience with. And one thing that um, I was thinking about here was responding to customer needs. And Salesforce has like the whole marketplace capability, which in my opinion should be <clears throat> excuse me something that really sets that platform apart compared to others. Is that something that's pretty well offered in in other platforms as well, or is that unique to the Salesforce ecosystem? So there are a few platforms that offer that, that full range. Um, and this is actually an area, you know, in my opinion, Salesforce might be running a little too fast in, mm-hmm. um, you know, the past five, five, six years, they've been like acquiring and it's no longer acquiring small tech firms and, and merging and it's in, it's buying like, Slack or Tableau or MuleSoft and like these giant firms of it, and then trying to merge it in. Um, and for me, what's it's great to be able to say, Hey, we've got this customer 360 and you can do everything. But in my experience, especially in consulting, is like people don't want to do everything with one person or one mm. vendor. You have vendor lock in, you get, um, and it's funny because you you would, but you don't yet. You get like, you know, uh, very scoped skill sets. Where it's like, mm-hmm. no, we have, you know, 100 Salesforce developers. And then we try and bring on a new technology. And they're like, you know, the ones that are solely Salesforce might be crippled by trying to figure out this new thing. Yeah. Um, so Salesforce is interesting. I I kind of wish they would do more on a like technology scope versus Mm -hmm. just a business fit scope. So, Hey, we need a data platform or data visualization platform, but we have Einstein Einstein for all its bad things was really nice because it tied pretty close to the Salesforce already ecosystem. But then you bring in Tableau and there's like completely different structures or like a marketing cloud when they bought exact target, like Mm -hmm. they had exact target APIs and like exact target in the name up until like three years ago. So (laughs) it's a, it's not an easy job and I'm sure not a fun one, but I feel like at times we, we focus too much on the 360 Mm -hmm. and not enough on the, you know, here's the platform that you're getting. Yeah. So that's good. Uh, There's a couple of of different questions I want to ask in response to that. We'll get to um, how would you improve the platform then if you could wave a magic wand? Uh, Sounds like you've got some ideas there. Um, But before we get to that point, I I also want to ask about vendor lock-in. If you could explain what is that, especially when we're talking about a platform. So vendor lock-in from like the consulting piece of it, when we'd come in, we would see companies that were 100% on, and now with cloud, uh, public cloud, it's even so much more, is they are 100% Google Cloud or Azure or AWS. Before, you didn't have that. You might be vendor locked in with like HP or Dell or, you know, name your hardware vendor. And that's what, like, they were very, they did a very good job of diversifying those. Um mm-hmm. The idea is vendor lock-in is, so I'm a company, I have everything in Salesforce. Salesforce has agreements and requirements on what they're going to do with my data, how long they're going to support the application. But think about this, like, if I think about it from like a gamer's perspective, like Mm -hmm. they're shutting down, you know, servers all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Companies fold, come and go. Um, So... The concern there is, all right, what is our plan if Salesforce goes out of business? Mm-hmm. Yes, we're going to have access to our data. Yes, they're going to keep their application up for X amount or what they're required to. But do we have a a path out? And even more so, you know, this is something 
concerning that's happened in the past couple of years is what if this platform says they won't do business with us anymore? Mm. What if our, our CEO makes statements and then, you know, as, as part of this, you know, where we're at right now is our CEO might say something and they could say, Hey, you know, we no longer will support you as a platform. And, um, you know, AWS can turn off the keys. And then if you look at it too, like we're layered so much, like if Salesforce says no, AWS is going to say no. Or if AWS says no, since so much is hosted on AWS, Salesforce by default is going to say no. So vendor lock-in's gotten out of just like a budgetary concern and like an ongoing business concern. Like how much do I invest in a language apex that trans will not translate out versus can I get on a platform that uses a common language like Java or JavaScript or, you know, C sharp that way, if there is a change that needs to happen, we can, we can shift. Yeah. Right. So that, that makes a lot of sense then in terms of vendor locking on the platform and business continuity, because Salesforce in particular, um, I know that they have made some decisions on who they want to do business with based on their value system. Right. So that is definitely an angle, I think, that is becoming more and more prevalent with politics in, in the world uh, than it yep. has ever been before. And so uh, I think that's an aspect for people to consider. And I've also worried too. like think back to Farmville on Facebook oh. back in the day. I've always wondered why a person would build their entire business model into the platform of a company like Facebook that could just disappear overnight. Now, obviously it didn't. But I think you're highlighting those as some of the risk factors to decide if from a business perspective, you want to go all in on a particular ecosystem or, or platform there. Yeah. And that's, it's funny because like we had these discussions before I came to Salesforce with a large company and they're wanting to do like uh, switching from a, a monolithic architecture to microservices and how can we do this? And what's really interesting, if you look at like Azure or AWS or the Google cloud, like they'll give you tutorials and how you can do things to put on their platforms, but it, it couples you to that platform. And then now it's, you know, if you're not in technology, you probably don't hear them because they're not the cool fancy terms, but you know, now we have things like Docker and Kubernetes and all these things that are actually putting a layer between you and your vendor. So like mm -hmm. VMware has huge, you know, Kubernetes practice, like, and it's so you're not tied in. If I had to, I could take all of everything I've hosted in the cloud. I could spin up my own server, throw Kubernetes on it, deploy my Docker images and like, bam, I'm, I'm there. Like, I think that's where you're going to see like a lot of companies really, really being tight on who they're associating to. Mm -hmm. And then the data is the other big part is, uh, how do I get my data? How, how am I, if Salesforce stops, I have, you know, we say, you know, data is the new gold or oil or whatever you want to call it. Like, how do yeah. I get that? Like, if it's my most valuable asset, which mm -hmm. personally, I still don't think it is. I think your talent and skills are your most valuable assets, but like mm -hmm. data is this, this huge asset and I'm putting it on these clouds that I don't know will be there tomorrow or, you know, pricing changes. I don't know if I can afford them tomorrow. Or, I mean, you have, you know, privacy concerns. Like, are if I don't go through this legalese document so close, like, how do I know that they're not opening up my data to chat GPT, scraping it and using that to help my competitors mm -hmm. in negotiating against me? Yeah, no kidding. Or how how good are their security practices? Because I think in the last podcast episode I did on ChatGPT, I talked about how Amazon like internal communications were being used as part of the training model. And so company secrets were leaking out probably accidentally just through talking with ChatGPT. So I think all of those security concerns of someone uh, hosting your data or owning it, even if they've got like the legal agreement that they're going to do their best, Breaches happen, issues happen. And so that's still a risk that we've got to consider if we're all in on one platform. 
So then where is that balance then, whether we're talking about a platform or going into a cloud? Because this is the, the age old debate, right? Like, do we do one cloud or do a multi-cloud to avoid that whole vendor lock-in aspect? I think what, what kind of things should a person consider um, when they're deciding that? I mean, I would say first and foremost, trust your technologist. Like there is so much marketing and marketing has become such an amazing skill set mm-hmm. that you can have, you can get a CEO up on a stage giving them a high five and tell like they're like we're moving everything to this vendor or this platform and you've got a, a whole room of technologists like like this isn't a good idea and we're like no no their marketing says this so like first and foremost listen like build a trusted technology team and listen to them. Uh, like that's the best first and best way to avoid lock-in like that. The other is I would say, you know, look at, you know, how can I layer my technologies? How can I put um, abstractions or I, I refer to them as seams in my technologies to make sure that I'm not, you know, tightly coupled that, you know, if you think about your car, like if my window doesn't work, I don't want that to affect my brakes, right? Mm-hmm. So I need to identify like what are my critical systems and then those need to be most protected. And then from there you can like, oh, like, oh, look, there's this great application on Salesforce for managing podcast schedules. I'll throw that <laughs> out there. Like, all right, like I, I don't need to put the concern on that as much as I do like my financial or HR data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we're talking now about not just solving a business problem, but thinking about the boundaries in between layers of your architecture as you engineer a solution here. So that if you change one section, it doesn't cause impacts to the whole rest of your code base. You've got like yes. a boundary here. I think this is, we're getting into like microservices or service oriented architecture type of thinking. And uh, I, I would suggest or offer that this is probably more of a maturity and continual learning aspect of engineering as one goes through their careers, which is why architect and lead engineer like yourself is is more of a senior level title and, and responsibility because you've got to have seen, been exposed to a lot of things in technology to understand the system level uh, and component level aspects of engineering. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, and I think another critical part on that is understanding your business and what is your business? What is what makes them stand out versus others and protecting that and using technology to protect that. Not just like I said, like there's so many applications like oh yeah, we could build this and we could spend more time architecting it than it takes to buy a platform, set it up and get users mm-hmm. going. And then now we've built this giant cost that we have to try and justify. You know, some stuff doesn't matter. Like some stuff is very like let the business use what they want and they're comfortable with, but make Mm -hmm. sure like, is that part of your critical path or your core product that makes you a company? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I like something else that you said, uh, which was to trust your technologist. Uh, that is a recurring theme throughout my career where people, because they work with engineers, think they think like engineers. But there's a reason why we hire engineers or platform devs or platform admins. And so I think that that aspect of what you said is is a key for anyone who's in the business, who's deciding, should we purchase a platform, right? If you're, you're not the CTO, but maybe you're the CEO and someone has come up to you at a trade show and, and really sold you on ServiceNow or, yeah. or on Salesforce or, or something, would, would be to have somebody technically astute to, uh, to assess that, whether or not that's the right decision for your company. I think uh, that, that's a very important thing to consider here as well. Yeah. And I find so much of that comes down to, and this is one thing, you know, Salesforce number one value is, is trust. Mm-hmm. And one context that I think all businesses could take away from that is like, trust the people that you hired. Like, don't, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. I would say like, don't have like faith in them. Like, like whatever they say is, is true. But trust that like, hey, they've thought of things, they're digging into these things, and then have the conversation. Because again, like 
marketing has come so far, like so far and, you know, good or bad views about marketing, like they're made to manipulate like that. It's there to try and whether it's for good or for bad or for profit, um, <laughs> they're there to make you do something. And what you need is you need that, that person with you. And it's sad. Sometimes they're like pessimists or like, you need that person to go like, ah, I don't think so. Like you, you need the person to be like, when you're excited and you're ready to go do this, it's like, hold on, let's, let's stop, zoom out and look. And mm -hmm. it, what's, and this is where Salesforce does a great job. I was like, that's why, you know, executives are making decisions and not technologists, but a good executive will have that team behind them to help make that evaluation. And it can't be, this is one of my, my pet peeves is seeing people that go from like technologist and they're like, oh, I'm a developer, go, go, go. And then, oh, a manager, director. All right, now I'm in an executive seat. And, oh, I've done, I did that. Like, I, I did that. It took me like two weeks to do that in Java 30 years ago. So I, I know what you're talking about. Like, it's like, it's yeah. like, no, like you need the person who just touched it or just read their new documentation. Look at Salesforce, three releases a year, three major releases, hundreds of releases a year, but three major releases. And I, I've worked with technologists that told me like, this is impossible. And I'm like, dude, that was four releases ago. <laughs> so so we can't yeah. get into this mindset of like stopping it's like let's when the question is asked let's evaluate we can lean on knowledge that we gleaned previously but we need to make mm -hmm. sure that is you know in technology where every year there's something new like look at ai from november of last year to january of this year now, people that follow it and are in the industry, they're like, hey, guys, there's really not a big difference besides now everybody's doing it. Mm -hmm. Like the actual technology hadn't changed that much. But like there's a huge change there. Like there's a huge adoption. I mean, CEOs are posting on Twitter like, you know, how are we going to use AI and chat GPT? It's like, yes, you're good. Engineers ask you have already that. been thinking. <laughs> Yeah, for yeah. sure. And I want to ask you specifically about the the rise of AI here. But when so uh, you just talked about executives and people who had been writing code as a, as a director like 30 years ago, right? Like those are all extremely valid points and one that I'm sensitive to in myself as I progress in my career. And one example that I always come back to is uh, I believe there was a CIO who was like very proud of himself because he wrote code with the teams. And uh, they ended up getting a security breach at that company because the CIO didn't understand some of the basics of cross-site scripting. Like, sure, he wrote some of the code and maybe an hour a week or less probably was his real contributions because as a CIO, he has other responsibilities. But even if, if you're not writing code eight hours a day every day and keeping sharp with the, the latest changes and trends in technology, like you had alluded to, like new capabilities of the platform, then your skills kind of drift out of date and you end up becoming a liability for your company. Yes. And so I think people who listen to this podcast, we've got people all the way from like, what should I do when I go to college grant? Like what should my degree be in to I'm an executive leader at a company and I want to learn more about chat GPT and how it's rising in the industry. Like got people on both ends of, of the career scale here and so I think for everybody in leadership, uh, I think some humility should probably be <laughs> on the yes. table here. Of I, I may be a director or I may be an executive leader at a company. It doesn't make me the smartest person in the room. And sometimes it makes me the least capable person compared to my lead engineer or my senior developer who is in the thick of it every single day. So again, just backing up your point here about trusting your technologist. Yeah. And you know what you're saying? Like, the the ego and the humility in it and it's not like humility i feel like is used as a bad word half the time but it's like no mm -hmm. there should be and then even humility on the engineer side because that's mm -hmm. something i pride myself and especially coming from like an accounting and finance background is there's a balance of like you can do it perfect right as an engineer you can optimize it to process 
billions of records. But then you got to ask yourself, like, hey, this is a movie theater. Like, are, are there going to be a billion people using this? Like, mm-hmm. y- you need a good executive to help set the priorities in the 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 expectations. And then engineers need to be good at understanding those and, like, where can I make th- – like, what level do I need to make this at, right? Like, we're not all driving super, you know, sports cars down the road. We don't need it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, Engineers have to get a little, a little bit humble too. I, I've that's it. It's kind of a trend in engineering too. You get a little, little haughty at times. I am. Yeah. Um, of course. Yeah. And, and likewise, I would like to optimize a problem until I'm finished and I feel good about it being optimized. But I think in my head, I've taken management and turned it on its side. It's not like a hierarchy. Yes, people report to me in in the office, but I have a role to play for my team. And they have a role to play as well. And together, we can all make sure that we're building something that is engineering-wise very sound, but also not over-engineered to be super expensive and solve the business problem and then some, right? So it's that healthy tension, I think, between what the business needs and what the engineers are delivering. Uh, Because if you want, what is it? It's three nines of availability versus four nines. There's yeah. an insane amount of cost difference between th- that one extra little nine there. And sometimes you don't even need three nines. So I think yeah, taking all of that into consideration is a key here. So we had uh, we touched a little bit on the topic of AI. So that's yes. all the rage these days. So what are your thoughts there, either with platform development in mind or just as a technology in, in itself? Yeah, so, you know, one thing I'll throw out is like being from the Midwest, I got to try not to be too folksy, right? So <laughs> I, I will share a story that my wife and I were talking about this and she is a hundred percent, like not technology. Mm-hmm. Like she's nursing and loves people and interactions, no technology. She's like, what is this? Like automated intelligence. And I was like, that's it. Like a hundred percent. That is such a better, like wow. what is AI's? automated intelligence not artificial because that's great (laughs) like if you think about so much of it it is it's you know 95 percent automation and then five percent intelligence that people feed into it Mm -hmm. um you know there's i'm super excited about where things are going with it and what it's doing because it's like it's so cool to say think like I have limited capacity, right? Grant, like I can only read so many books, watch so many videos, you know, do so many tutorials, but I have this engine now that can do all of this for me. But what I have to understand is like, there's still incorrect data. There's still biases in this. There's still a lot of things like it's not, it's not meant to do it by itself. And, you know, that's going to, you know, that's going to have a huge part. And I think a huge part in leadership at companies to understand, like, I need to trust my technologist on what they're saying on this. Like, yes, this might be cool for, you know, guessing the next thing. Or like, if you dig into how a lot of this works, like it's doing like guessing statistically, what's the next word or character that's going to be coming into place. Like, it might be great at that, but it's come in with a lot of bias. Um, and there's a lot of concerns around security and um, copyright infringement. Uh, a big concern for me, and it's funny because at first I was terrified. I had a call with my manager um, or my director. I had talked to some other engineers. I'm like, dude, I just put this through my interview test, right? Mm-hmm. And it smoked it. <laughs> like, Better than like most, you know, I, I have different level, like if you're, whether you're a entry level or even if you're a, a consultant or contractor coming in, like I've got different interviews, but as far as like just the sit down and code this for me test, dude, mm-hmm. chat GPT, boom, smoked it. Nice. And, you know, my concern is like, I, we already deal with a significant amount of cheating. Uh, yeah. This could be a whole nother podcast but a significant <laughs> amount of cheating during interview processes um, mm-hmm. when it comes to coding 
and now it's like okay we can't even trust like what we what everybody used to go to for the gold standard of like a hacker rank or elite code like you can't trust that and i'm glad at first i was terrified but now i'm glad because i'm like this to me now i can tell my manager look like i can't ask this question anymore Mm -hmm. let me build dynamic questions as i go and see the people's response and confidence and how they're thinking about it because like i've done interviews and like in some of the big tech companies and i'll go through and we got lazy like as an industry we got really lazy yeah and i feel like this turns that on its head like now we have to get we have to get strong in our interviewing skills again and both like visually seeing discrepancies but also like all right are you thinking or like how are you doing this so now if i ask an algorithm question the number one answer should be i'd put that in a chat gpt and then give it to you (laughs) yes yes that's great you know so when i went into management that was one of the things i noticed was missing from the interview process was the human aspect like i'm when i interview somebody i'm trying to 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 uh, figure out how they think. I don't care if they get the right answer to all the problems in the time limit. Like there is something to be said if you can do that, that's excellent. But there, I've hired people who have failed every technical question that I have given them because their train of thought was there, their speed just wasn't there. So yeah. I could tell how mature they were, how they were thinking through problems, how collaborative they were with me as the interviewer on the call. And I knew it's like, well, if I would let this person Google the question, they could get it in a snap. It's not like the end of the world. They've got all the right logical components here to come to the conclusion. And so I think that aspect maybe of hiring is something that that is going to get highlighted and I think should be more of an aspect in interviews rather than the uh, can you bang out six leak code hard problems or or some craziness like that? Yeah. And I, know, for what me, are your thoughts? I a hundred percent. And I'm like, can you give me a standard or a practice or why do you do this? Um, I, I did this. I, I, I'm, I'm accused of being grumpy at times and I, and I, won't, <laughs> I won't deny it, but I'd went through a, ser- a time where I was doing probably 10 to 15 interviews a week. And I was getting so tired. Like within the first five minutes, I could tell you like, all right, you're, you're casting your screen. Somebody's giving you the answers. Somebody's talking through your air, like, and then the harder ones are like, okay, you did really good. And then we hire them. And then we find out within a week, like, oh, this, this isn't happening. Like they don't have it. Um, I developed like a, a, a scoring system and levels for my, my technical interview questions. Mm -hmm. And the ones that are high weighted, the highest are very abstract questions. Like, can you explain you know, the security principles that Salesforce employs or SharePoint. And like, if they can describe it to me in a consumable fashion, like that means they understand it. Yeah. And I've got another like cheat interview question where I'm like, Hey, can you explain the steps of the save order of execution in Salesforce? Mm -hmm. And if you give me every one of them in order, I automatically start to question (laughs) <laughs> whether you're you're giving me like a, a real answer or not cuz i don't know any engineer that can just shoot it off on the top of their head yeah. so it's like sometimes there's too perfect of answers when you're going in those interviews and mm-hmm. i think we've got to get better about like getting into those like all right like is this too good is yeah. this too spot on and then a lot of those can be you know all right you know tell me you know, what is like, if you follow like solid principles, like what's single responsibility, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all good stuff. Um, I think it, it highlights the human aspect of the interview, knowing that there are limitations to what a human can recall in the interview process itself and not relying on other technology. Cause again, that could be a whole podcast in and of itself. All of the goofy things that I've seen in my days interviewing people. And I'm sure you've got just as many stories as well. So then AI isn't necessarily a threat to us. Um, it is more of a an accelerant maybe to help us solve problems. And I think for me personally, one of the things that I, I've noticed with it is it seems to be more of a fuzzy logic 
solver, right? If you think of um, computers, there's an old saying, they they are awesome because they do exactly what you tell tell them to do. And they suck because they only do exactly what you tell them to do, right? Yes. <laughs> so, so you get both sides of the fence there. And what I like about ChatGPT for all of my criticisms, I think I'm, I'm critical of that product or, or come across as critical because again, back to the showmanship that people uh, are displaying, like there's a whole lot of buzz around it. And I'm not, I'm not sold on buzz, yeah. but I do appreciate that ChatGPT, I can just say, hey, is this resume any good? And it could probably actually do a pretty fair job of, of telling me if this is a good fit for the job that I'm trying to hire for. So I think there's going to be some more fuzzy logic problems like that that it can solve uh, because automating that's near impossible using classic software development techniques. You really need a language model there to be able to parse and understand um, how the job and the, and the resume may, may be a good fit for one another. So I don't know, just a different type of problem perhaps that it's solving in the future. Yeah, I love like, so I think chat GPT is super cool. I have been following it since early last year. Um, mm -hmm. Sam Altman was on a, a podcast and like talking about it and like the dude seems so smart and like so passionate about it. So that's inspiring to me that it's not mm -hmm. just like a, you know, wall street CEO coming up in a suit and tie like AI is changing the world. That's what, <laughs> that's what, that's what 2023 brought us. Right. Is CEOs yes. talking about, AI versus technologists. Um, but I, I think you're right. It's an accelerator. And like, this is, again, maybe harsh. was like, yeah, I would ask for a license to that versus hiring some contractors. Like, if I can have it, <laughs> if I have, you know, dead simple tasks that I just don't want to have to like punch the, punch the keyboard for, mm -hmm. I can take it to that. But I don't think it's going to solve problems for me. I think it's going to give me answers, but not solve problems. And that's, that, that's yeah. an interesting part. And then platform development grant for all of you people um, listening. This is a great, great opportunity for platform development. Cause I guarantee you chat GPT isn't going to write flows. Mm. It's not going to do um, declarative or picture development. And I'll be curious to see how platforms respond to that. Like, Will they go away from that and be like, like, because if you think about it, like, they will have to write an interface and a compiler for something like chat GPT to generate those things. Mm -hmm. Right. It's already got like the compiler for like Java or .NET or JavaScript, C sharp, F sharp, like all of those things like Python. I can go ask chat GPT, like build this for me in Python, like build me a least frequently used cache. If I tell it to like, you know, automate a sales process in flows, it's going to be like, here's a picture, you know? So yeah, it, it's a, it's a, a benefit for platform developers right now. If you know the declarative piece, you're, you're safer. Um, then maybe just a, a, a grunt, uh, Java dev or something, <laughs> but you know, companies, I think need to think about that as well. Like, how are we going to adapt to allow our technology teams to use tools like these? Because right now it's it's tough. Like even Apex, you know, our proprietary language, which goes down to Java, um, was it Java Java binary, and then goes into a JV. Like even that, it's like it can do it, but there's not the data set that there is for the other languages. So yeah. So I think uh, if I can, uh, in terms of like the flow, right? ChatGPT not solving flows and some of those things. I think uh, um, in my head, ChatGPT would be good at like producing code, but not actually solving problems. Right. Right. So we were talking before we started recording here a little bit about artificial intelligence. And I think that term is is what's coming back up here. It's, it's the artificial and artificial intelligence or artificial is in fake, right? Like it's not actually yeah. solving problems. And so there's definitely a human aspect there that's going to be required maybe at the architecture or the flow level, especially when you're talking about UIs where our skills are still going to be super viable as a platform developer or as a platform admin. So um, again, ChatGPT may be uh, an accelerant for us solving problems, uh, but isn't a replacement necessarily. Yeah. And I think in just a, a quick 
one more thing on the chat GPT thing, Grant. Sure. Yeah. You can cut this if you want. But like, so for me, when I'm designing solutions or working out a problem, I love to go get opinions. And I will say, I, I won't say argue, but I like to have very passionate discussions with people on what's the right way to solve problems. And now all chat GPT does for me is now I have yet another person to ask, right? Mm -hmm. I can go ping it and all caps type to it and figure out what it, <laughs> it recommends. But then my concern with it at the end of the day is if I'm talking to you, Grant, if we're, you know, we're designing whatever, like we're designing the next, you know, next DevOps tool toolbox that allows you to do all this stuff like we're gonna have disagreements we're gonna have arguments we're gonna you're gonna say no i did this at company xyz and here's why it didn't work the problem with chat gpt right now is and i did this i was like where did I, i'm like solve a least frequently used cache problem for me in dot net uh, using c sharp and it and i'm like where did you source this information i can't tell you that that's the response is I can't tell you that. So there's a, there in and of itself is a big problem. Like if it can't, if you can't tell me where you got the information or where you got the principles to put this in place, that means I can't trust that it's not being manipulated. That yeah. means I can't verify. And there's a lot of videos and stuff true or not. I mean, one thing I like, you can't trust, everything anything almost anything you see online these days but like a yeah. few like putting in like oh what is this and a chat which is like i'm not allowed to discuss that so interesting the question is like why they don't chat gpt doesn't get past like the second why yeah so that's something i hadn't really considered uh so you see in terms of information security you see things like malicious code being secretly snuck into repositories that are open source all the time yeah, like a, just a, an innocuous pull request was made to a repository. The community is like, "Oh yeah, thanks for solving the, this feature," and they allow it into the the trunk or the main line. And there's a little tiny bit of malicious code snuck in there. And I think, especially with ChatGPT, not understanding nobody understands how it sources its data. Right? It's it's a neural network, and not being able to have that traceability or, or knowledge does leave it open to, "Oh no, did someone sneak malicious code in the training set that it used to learn how to solve this problem and did that get replicated in the solution it just gave me?" No one knows. So it increases maybe the burden on information security to ensure secure codes being uh, delivered into production. Yeah. And even secure designs and I, I would say unbiased designs and like best solutions if you can't tell like if you can't tell me how you came to this opinion or answer then it's kind of hard to trust that answer mm -hmm. you know that's yeah in my opinion that's one of the biggest risks of it is you know we it may become a self-fulfilling prophecy by a feedback loop of you know negativity or bad practices or you know, laziness. I would attribute a lot to laziness. <laughs> yes, yes. That that gets us all from time to time. So we're coming up close to an hour here. And uh, there are so many things I want to ask you. I don't think we're going to get to them all, but maybe we can uh, do this again sometime. But I'll, I'll end on this question here then. So knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to yourself when you were just starting out in this field? You, you didn't, you ended up in uh, computer science and software engineering by accident, it sounds like. Yes. Uh, but it sounds like it was a good change for you, one that you like. So knowing what you know now, what would you consult the younger Dustin on? Um, I would go back to, to younger Dustin and probably the first thing I would say is don't be so angry. And um, a, a lot of that would come around like be willing to be wrong. I think that's something I struggled with when I first got into technology. And I think a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. um, we, we make the wrong decision, whether it's design or code implementation or something like that. And then we take it personal when it gets corrected. And... Mm -hmm. It leads to 
anger and you can't see things clearly when you're angry about being corrected. Um, and then, you know, I would say, you know, the other part to dust is like, as a, as a begin, as a junior dev and getting into this environment, remember how people make you feel and remember that when you're, when you work with others. So I've, I've had the gamut of amazing mentors to just terrible people reviewing my code and I know what works better for me. So when I'm working with my team or onboarding new people, you know, I think there's a lot of skills there that we don't think about in the technology realm, but that just, we we can do a lot to build each other up. Yeah. I love that. Wow. That speaks very powerfully to my early experiences in software engineering as well. So I I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you just said. Uh, I hadn't considered the human aspect of it there, but, uh, but thank you for sharing that. And also, thank you so much for taking time to, to be on this podcast and uh, talk to me, share your thoughts on platform development. Uh, is there anything that you want to, uh, to say here before we wrap up? Um, you know, I'll just end with gratitude. Thanks for having me on, Grant. Um, thanks for working with me. I'm sure we'll have several discussions between now and round two, but I, uh, you know, hope, hope we can keep this going and, and keep talking. Yeah, definitely. We'd love to do this again. So thank you so much. All right. Have a good one, Grant. Bye. And there we go. I hope you gained some wisdom from Dustin and enjoyed hearing our chat. I do have other guests in the queue, but if you want to be on the podcast, please reach out to me, connect with me on LinkedIn, email me at hello at grantdryden.com or follow me on TikTok at drydenman. As I ask every time, please rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen on and send me some kind words so I know that you're getting value out of this work. And as always, I will see you again next time.